Hi everyone, this is Andrea Powell with Corona Rising and Surviving Now. This is episode six, going back to school during a global pandemic. Uh, right now, there are an estimated 850 million children not in school worldwide, and currently 70% or more of schools in the U.S. are closed. Until very recently, schools and health officials are offering little guidance to parents, and many students are struggling to stay academically focused and emotionally connected. Most schools have been closed since mid-March, and many, including here in the nation's capital where Corona Rising is housed, are ending early. Kindergartners, not known for their ability to concentrate, have been learning virtually for hours. High school students are worried about whether virtual learning is doing their academic service and if they'll be able to get into the universities that they want to, should those universities be open at all. Parents, especially single parents and parents who themselves are struggling with unemployment, previous traumas such as trafficking or intimate partner violence are being asked to choose if they want to teach their children, find or keep jobs, or simply just try to survive at home. And there's no right answer. Parents everywhere are wondering what will happen this summer and fall. Children are struggling to recreate that sense of social learning while many people are talking about academics and talking about the impact of health. What we're not often hearing about is the fact that social distancing and virtual learning, while necessities in many ways for our health, are creating a whole new culture and generation of trauma. Um, the CDC school reopening guidelines, while focused on the physical health of students and communities, does not take into account the devastating emotional toll on children and, frankly, parents that these recommendations have. Any form of returning back to school involves a risk toward infection for children and their caretakers. Staying home and learning virtually, either in full or in part, creates further chaos for struggling parents and social isolation for children. As youth homelessness rises and parents struggle, the reality that children will be at risk toward online predators and traffickers is like never before. Today we speak to Jenny Bukos, a multi-award winning director and producer. She is the founder of the Project Explorer, educational non-for-profit, non a multimedia education strategist and an agent for global citizenship. And in full disclosure, Jenny and I are personal friends and I have enjoyed working with her professionally on Project Explorer. Uh, and to just add a bit of testament to that, I almost never do anything unless it's related to the field of anti-trafficking, but was so compelled uh, by Jenny's work that I, I wanted to be a, a contributor. We're also speaking to Liz Kimmel, Corona Rising's co-founder and director of programs. She's also a survivor and the mother of two awesome, creative, wild kids who I totally love. Uh, so we have a very uh, diverse set of experiences here today. Jenny, why don't you take a moment to in introduce yourself? Uh, thanks for inviting me to be part of this. Um, I'm Jenny Bukos. As you said, I'm the founder of ProjectExplorer.org. Uh, for 17 years, we have created smart content for curious kids to make sure that kids grow up understanding the world beyond their community, no matter how they define that community. And to date, all of that content has been completely free to anyone, anywhere. Excellent. And, and Liz, take a moment to induce yourself. Hi, I'm Liz Kimball. I'm the program director for Corona Rising, and I am the mother of two wild children. Um, I've been in the anti-trafficking field for about seven to eight years now, and I am currently um, working with Andrea to provide uh, engaging and financially free um, 
products to empower young survivors. And I am currently staying at home with those two children uh, while we're navigating this new world. Thank you, Liz. Um, and I really, I just can't say enough, you know, as one parent to another that I, I respect trying to find that balance and trying to figure out what that looks like. Uh, Jenny, I just want to dive straight in. You created content that I can personally say is the most engaging and fun content I can find for my own child as well as children uh, who I know, many of whom are the children of, of survivors of trafficking and exploitation and um, you know, are struggling to, to connect to their kids while navigating some of the, the PTSD that comes with social isolation. You have a really unique vision for education and why we need to supplement what children are learning in school. So tell us more about that vision and why it's more important now than ever before. So our vision, for, well, my vision from the start has always been using stories to reinforce what we learn. Um, and I'll just, you know, on a personal note, like I can remember every story I've ever seen on The Simpsons. So, you know, it's there's like a 10% of my brain is carved out for things I've seen in TV and movies. And I think that's what like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and everything else on PBS Kids has done so brilliantly. But after you age out of that Mr. Rogers Sesame Street age group, there's really no media that's curriculum-based or education-focused. And if it is, it's boring. Um, so for 17 years, that's what I've tried to do. Use stories through video to really get kids excited about learning and not just learning about the world, but imagine going into math class and having a video, like that just doesn't happen. We provide that kind of content why it's so important now. School started closing in March and I made a joke. I did an interview um, in early March and people said, why should people you know, use Project Explorer right now? And, and the joke was, well, it's pandemic proof. Um, it's there for you. It's online. It's completely free. A parent can take it and, and plug and play. Um, that's why it's so critical to have content like this. And I think there was a lot of really great intention. There were parents doing heroic work in the first week of schools being closed, but then realized there is a massive gap in the quality and quantity of content that you can get for your kids online. High schoolers are great. They can go to the New York Times and, and consume something. They can go to PBS and consume something, but I'm talking like that eight to 14 year old uh, range where kids are desperate to be inspired. Um, so that's why it's important right now. Um, and I yeah. and I completely. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. I could talk about this for like days. <laughs> it does. It does. You know, I remember uh, one video I watched recently with a little girl who's important to me, and um, it was about the tortoise. And uh, she watched the video. She learned that they can live up to 200 years. And for the rest of the day, repeated that information to anyone that she came into virtual contact with, uh, pretty much <laughs> verbatim, and then went online to heckle her teacher for not teaching that to her first. Uh, so, you know, it is true that the kids remember that content um, and remember the, the, you know, the, the intention behind it. Um, you know, Liz, I, I wanted to shift and, and speak to you. Again, you have two high-energy kids. Um, they're close in age, but nonetheless still academically in different places. And I, I heard this recently, and it really resonated with me. Kids did not choose the couch life. The couch life has chosen them. And yes. so they're, they're, but that's not naturally how a kid's supposed to be. So as a mom of, of these two kids, how are you making, by and 
What has life looked like for you and your kids during this time of lockdown and virtual learning? Yeah, so actually, I'm, I was just thinking after Jenny mentioned children, you know, eating up information and, and needing it so badly. My favorite thing is when my almost my son will be nine in a week and he comes running down the stairs and he'll go, mom, did you know? And then he spits out whatever he learned and he's so articulate and he's so interested and so driven to tell me about it. And then he runs back upstairs to learn more. And the topic may be completely boring to me, but he is eating it up. And I love seeing that in him. And I hope that never goes away. Um, so the better the content is, the more comfortable I am with him learning. Um, and so I'm so thankful for people like Jenny who are putting out really good content for my children um, during this pandemic. So at the beginning, it was really difficult because my depression and my PTSD were like flaring out of control. And all I could think is if I have to participate in my children's education right now, I'm not sure I can. And so we figured out their Zoom schedules and we figured out their homework loads. And I said, you guys can do what you can do, but don't feel like it's the end of the world if you don't participate. And so my children have kind of paced themselves responsibly because children are capable of that. Um, and they participate in their Zoom classes without my participation whatsoever. They participate in their, their homework without my participation whatsoever. Um, and to be quite honest, I'm ready to call it and, and just start summer break. I think that it's beautiful outside. My children should be playing. Um, yesterday, my daughter spent eight hours outside digging in the dirt with her friend for the first time in months. And I've not seen her so happy since this pandemic started. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I feel like the better the content, if they're going to be online, the, the more comfortable I am with it. But I've just learned to let our family find a, a good medium and not force them to take in content or, or to just take in anything that their bodies and minds can't handle. No, I think that's a really good perspective. And, um, you know, I think, I think I actually saw this on your Facebook page yesterday about like being kind, you know, to people as they're making choices and, and navigating this because, you know, as also as a parent of a young child, um, you know, I looked at the, the CDC guidelines and thought, okay, so three options. One is total virtual learning, which means I totally have to figure out a plan 100% where my kid is going to be educated and, and academically on point, but I have to work. I am a single parent. I do not have a backup plan. Uh, I have to find, you know, ways to make a living. And once again, you know, my daughter is going to be in first grade. She is not known for self-direction at this point. Um, although she loves learning and her favorite part of the day is getting to talk to her teacher every morning, because that's just about as exciting as life gets for her uh, socially right now. But, um, you know, thinking about, well, will she be back in class one day a week, two days a week? There'd be all these partitions. There would be like masks and gloves and you can't look at each other and watch out for partlets and you can't play in the playground and you have to eat your lunch in the classroom and only one teacher. And I'm like, my goodness, like, this is not built for a child her age. This is, this is, I know we're all trying to do the best we can, but these guidelines are leaving 
for me as a parent, and I think I'm hearing this from other single parents as well, a giant gaping hole uh, where reality should be. Uh, so Jenny, uh, what do you think as someone who's in the education field and looking at this from a different perspective, what do you think of the CDC guidelines at this point? I mean, I think it should be said the CDC guidelines are just that. They're guidelines. That's, there were, and when we spoke uh, preparing um, for this, I, I really tried to dig into like what the CDC was recommending. And there are actually two sets. There's the, this is what you have to do to reopen. Like, do you, um, do you have a plan in place for high risk students? Do you have a plan in place if teachers need time off outside of their policies? That side of it, I think is brilliant. That's, I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. The things like, you can only bring in lunch and you have to eat lunch in the classroom. That should be said, those are just guidelines. Nobody has said this is what has to happen. Um, I think they're unrealistic, but I also think they've been blown out of proportion on social media. Cause if you go to the CDC, it'll say it is recommended. We suggest, and those words like recommended and suggest have been removed from social media. So people, I think a lot of people are starting to panic that this is absolutely the blueprint for what school is going to look like. Um, so I don't want to bash the CDC cause they're, they're just saying, this is what we suggest. I think anyone who's been in a K-12 school knows like this is just not possible. Saying don't share art supplies, that's just not gonna happen. Like this is, like, kids are germ factories. This is what's gonna happen. Right, I mean, we're in a place um, where kids, for my daughter, like it's not just don't share, it's like don't eat the art supplies. That's right. Don't <laughs> the art supplies, yes. And also, um, that doesn't account for the students that are are below the poverty line whose parents can't absolutely the supplies. I mean, how are children going to not share pencils in a classroom if their parents can't afford to buy them? Or, you know? or tablets, like, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but I think, you know, sort of what is missing, I think the guidelines are okay to start the conversation, but where the conversation has stopped are things like, what do we do with ELL students if we move to like a virtual home learning going forward? What do we do to make sure that every kid gets fed? And we've done a good job patching that up right now. What do we do with kids that are homeless and need to have their clothes cleaned at school because that's their only opportunity to have that done? And again, we put in stopgap measures, but none of that was addressed in the CDC um, guidelines. And I'm not sure that's necessarily their role um, because right. it's just public health for them, but they're not taking the mental aspect of public health. And so I think that, and that's a really good distinction or two really good points, you know, and, and to point out for, for listeners who may not understand the, the magnitude of, of youth homelessness, but for example, one in 10 uh, New York City public school children are homeless. Um, we have at any given night over 40,000 youth uh, who are unaccompanied and on the streets trying to survive at night. So. So this is a big deal, um, you know, as a small nonprofit, such as Corona Rising, we received a, a really small grant from the Schuster and Family Foundation um, to hand out tablets and, and organize food because a lot of parents, especially of younger kids, it's really kind of impossible to go wait in those lines and go to those stores and their kids are just too little to understand social distancing. And so that, you know, we were getting uh, calls from survivors who needed those tablets so their kids could learn online or 
needed to find alternative ways to get access to food because they were relying on on that school lunch and and frankly on that school breakfast. Um, I don't know what the current statistic is, but not that long ago here in the District of Columbia, over 40% of children went to school every day without breakfast and relied upon that breakfast and parents relied upon that consistency. And I think that's another thing that um, people often don't realize about kids. I've worked a lot with kids and, and all of us have, yeah. but kids actually crave structure and actually crave consistency. And so when yeah. there's an absence of that, or if you're a parent who can't provide that because of because of your trauma, because of your PTSD, or because of the fact that you're trying to still work and you're yourself frustrated with the lack of consistency. Um, it can be, right. you know, really challenging. Um, Liz, what has been, and I, you know, I know this is a very intense question, but what has been some of the emotional toll on your kids during the last few months during social isolation and, and not being able to be in school? Yeah, so <clears throat> fortunately for us, my husband has been considered an essential employee throughout the whole thing. And so we haven't struggled financially, thank goodness. And therefore we haven't struggled with groceries or my children and I needing to go stand in those lines to receive food. Um, but at the same time, my children, you know, growing up with a mom with the mental health issues that I have growing up with me is, is, its own trauma probably. And so being at home 24 seven with that um, has worn them down. You know, it, it, it's caused them to have to figure out what they need and how to provide that um, emotionally, unless I'm emotionally available to them, which is then a hundred percent of the time, to be honest. Um, I think about how terrible this would have been on me and my siblings had it happened when I was growing up because we grew up in poverty. My mother was emotionally unavailable 100% of the time. Um, we would have starved. We would have been just so traumatized by the experience. Um, fortunately for my children, I have therapy and I have my medication and I have the ability to step aside from my mental health crisis and and provide nurturing for them. Um, but I, I am interested to see how this experience will have altered them and, and many other children around the world. I, I like to watch these videos of other children and, and a day in the pandemic. And I'm like, oh, my kids are definitely not that happy. <laughs> um, but they, they're doing okay. They're doing okay, and they're finding their rhythm. Um, I think most of all, they just miss their friends, and I think that's why they participate so much in the Zoom calls is because they get to see their peers and interact with them and, and hear them ask questions and see inside their living rooms, and it's a, it's a fun window into other people's lives. I mean, they get to see their teachers' classroom, you know, living rooms too. Um, I think the kids are going to be okay. I am interested to see the radical shift in education going forward um, and how that also affects my children. Because I think that there's no way that we can go back to the way it was. I think, you know, I think point. that like Jenny, which was is saying, good, which is it's good. Great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, like Jenny was saying though, the CDC is putting out recommendations um, 
I, I, I want to see how all of it just changes and how my children will be nurtured through the education system going forward because we know as a society we cannot go backwards right um, and so while you know of course i worry about the the toll this whole thing has had on them i am not worried about their resilience going forward and i think that's i mean that's really powerful and i you know as i disclose which i actually rarely do i have a, a little girl who's going into first grade uh, in the fall, and she'll have the same teacher that she had uh, this year. Her name is Ms. Roby. Uh, she is just the best. I love her. She's so engaged. She does the call. She's available all the time. She is. She's created virtual learning to the best of her ability. Puppet shows. She she devours Project Explorer content. Like she just she's just so engaged in so many different ways. But that's a contrast to another little girl who I'm close to who's, who's a little bit older but still in elementary school and, and she's just getting nothing but broken links and boring videos and only one Zoom call the teacher a week, which is like her favorite time of the week. She's like, here it comes. She's like a, a moth to the Zoom video flame. But, um, but it's, it's, it's just a very different reality and I think a lot of parents are struggling to figure out what's the best way to educate kids, but could we do things differently? And what would that look like? Um, you know, Jenny, you and I were talking about micro schools, uh, which Liz and I yeah. both are thinking of coexisting in one of these these new new structures, so to speak, although it's not really all that new. I think it's what education looked like a long, you know, so long ago, but we've, we've kind of yeah. lost our way in thinking about how to connect to kids in a, in a very, you know, narrative, socially and emotionally intelligent way. Uh, we both know that parents, especially single parents, are struggling. At present, uh, for today's recording, there is a 9.1% unemployment rate, which means 13.9 million individuals are currently unemployed. Um, they can't afford private tutors. Uh, they can't leave their kids at home while they find other work. Millions of families uh, are struggling with the reality of how they're going to get their kids to learn, uh, whether it be partially at home or full-time at home. So what are some innovative concepts that you could share to help parents who are listening right now, Jenny, to, to other alternatives than just the, the either we're like learning fully virtually uh, through the content the school is yeah. providing or not? Like what are some alternatives? Okay, so innovative. Let's just say like every parent who is now faced with like homeschooling their kid needs to give themselves like some wiggle room and some grace. Like it, like just be patient. Like schools didn't know how to push this into the homes. So any teacher who's doing anything is fantastic. Um, I wouldn't even say innovation. I would say, and Liz, you mentioned that your kids are doing this, really fostering creativity. So one of the lessons we have, um, we follow the story of a person who developed a translation app for humanitarian crisis. So it's kind of like being able to zoom in a translator if you are in a hospital and you don't speak the language. Um, so we follow that as a five minute story. And the lesson for that is ask your child that you're taking care of what their passions are and then give them time for genius hour. How could they turn their passion into helping someone outside of their community? Um, 
I mean, what a great thing for a kid to do. You can do an art project. You can do a tech project. You could work on your own. You can work with your family. You can work with your neighbor. I think that's the kind of learning that we need um, that fosters creativity. It fosters collaboration. It allows a kid to be curious. They can't really say they're bored with it because you've then said, what is your passion? And if they don't know what their passion is, they can go figure that out. So I think that's really where we need to be going with education. It's don't, don't worry so much learning by rote, but how can we teach kids to be creative and how can we teach kids to be critical thinkers and how can we teach kids kindness and compassion and understanding? So that's, that's where I'd like to see um, wherever the model takes us, if it's full back to classroom, if it's blending, if it's all virtual, that's what I'd like to see. Well, I think that's that's a great answer, and I agree that fostering that creativity is is so critical. Uh, I I read uh, the Greta Thunberg uh, book to my daughter the other day virtually because she's staying with extended family, which is our own uh, you know journey for the two of us. And so I read the book, and we talked about the, you know the difficulties of plastic and what it does to seagulls and turtles, and yep. it was very age appropriate. And literally that afternoon, she walked out on the beach and saw a, a seagull that had been strangled by uh, a plastic you know, container for, for probably beer or some other beverage. And um, she was very upset by it, but she also was like, but I, now I know why I need to recycle. And like, so recycling has become this passion for my six-year-old. And apparently there are now people who are being accosted by my child hollering at them, don't throw that in the trash, you can recycle. Question yourself. And so, so I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry to those people, but she is accurate. And um, and so it's it's finding that passion for kids. Um, you know, Liz, I feel like as single parents, like, and, and really just parents who in general right now, everybody's kind of judging and, and figuring out and like, there's a, there's a lot of kind of intense chatter on social media about what should be done, what shouldn't be done. Everyone's wondering if they're making the right choices. What are some ways you think we can support each other and reduce that shame and judgment that so many parents are feeling right now? Uh, I mean, how do we how do we stop our human nature, right? <laughs> <laughs> like we're constantly judging, we're constantly insecure about others judging us. That's such a hard thing. Um, but again, being kind and being patient and being um, human, I mean, just being there to listen and and hear people out and hear people's fears and people's um, ideas and people's passions is so important. Um, you know, there's so many parents. I, I have um, friends and family that have always planned to homeschool. So this pandemic really hasn't affected them in any way academically. Um, or in their home life. And then I have people, I have, you know, single parent friends, and I have friends that are below the poverty line who have to work to survive, um, who are really struggling right now. And I have friends who are immunodeficient. And I have friends that are, um, you know, traumatized by the expectations of society during this pandemic. And so I think the best thing to do is just to be quiet and listen and just offer love and grace and 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 not worry about anything anyone else is doing unless it's hurting someone you know um and so that's my biggest my biggest piece of advice um and then just to to go back to what you were saying about your little 
Um, my son, for his New Year's Eve resolution this, this past year, was to pick up trash, which now I'm not encouraging him to do anymore. <laughs> but we we had gloves in the car and we had trash bags in the car so that if we were somewhere and he saw trash, he could put his gloves on and go pick that trash up. So yeah, kids are kids are amazing. They are amazing little people and they are capable of so much kindness and so much love. And so I think maybe we should be looking to them. You know, how are they judging others and how are they feeling judged and how are they handling this? Maybe they're, they are our best example of how to just be. I think that's, that's beautiful. And it is so true. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, I, I'm also in touch with a number of teachers, including my, my little one's uh, pre-K three teacher who is phenomenal. Um, and I'm just, whether he wants me to or not, I'm constantly pestering him and learning uh, strategies from him. Um, but, you know, Jenny, are you in, I know you're in touch with a number of teachers and what are you hearing from them right now? You know, how has shifting to virtual education um, and, and how, how has this impacted them? I think so many teachers were just trying to figure out at least we seven in 10 of our users come from economically disadvantaged areas. Mm -hmm. So, so many of the teachers I worked with were really just concerned with making sure kids had the meals, kids had a home, um, things like, um, tampons and sanitary pads for teenage girls. Like these are all the things you don't think about with like, um, with uh, a school that schools provide this. So, so many of the teachers that I work with, that's what they focused on. And that was like the first month. And then as we got into April, trying to get a device into everyone's hand, because how can you just shift to remote learning if seven in 10 kids in your district don't have a device or don't have internet access. And I think people like Comcast have stepped up, right? Um, what I'm hearing from teachers now is they all wanna know what I'm hearing from other teachers about what school's gonna look like in September. School districts have not figured it out. Um, they have no idea what they're going to do. Like, is it going to be half days? Is it going to be every other day? Is it going to be virtual? Is it going to be um, in class? Is it going to be in class just for kids like under five years old? Is it going to be in class just for people who have special needs? They have no idea um, what's going to happen. And what they're looking for now are innovative solutions, knowing that like 10 to 20% of their budgets are going to be cut. Correct. And, and I think that's, that's what they're looking for. So they have no idea what to do. Well, and I've been thinking about it, you know, from a very practical perspective, if you have teachers who are expected to provide virtual learning content and be in the classroom, I just, and, and maybe take care of their own kids. Correct. Like my, my mom was a teacher and she had three kids. So if that's the scenario, you are then responsible for teaching your own children and doing your job. Correct. And if you are someone who teaches, say, first grade, you're probably not equipped to then be a teacher for a ninth grader. But now you have to be. So it's, you know, I think that we're all learning, first of all, the value of teachers. Hopefully some some years from now, there will be a, a push to pay teachers appropriately. 
Um, you know, here yeah. in the District of Columbia, we have, the, you know, the majority of kids are struggling um, with food access, with um, access yeah. to appropriate aftercare programs. I often, you know, I think a lot about kids who are in detention, kids who are in foster group homes, kids who are already really disconnected and now they're being asked to be socially distanced and yet they're in a group home. Um, and that group home population changes. It's yeah. not like you move in and you stay yeah. and then you graduate, blah, blah, blah. No, kids are constantly in flux. So you have, you know, a lot of... right. And schools are trying to figure that out as well. I, I work closely with the District of Columbia's public schools, uh, and, and Liz does as well, educating kids about the dangers of trafficking um, and, and thinking a lot about, you know, those types of things. But even for me, emotionally, you know, I worry about other people's kids a lot. And, and from the very right. start, have has have been bothering anyone I knew that had good content such as yourself that I could get access to to share with kids but it's also about like how do you create that social circle of support Liz um and we're getting close to to the end of the show but you know how has this experience changed how you've looked at your kids education wow um it's altered my opinion about unschooling and homeschooling. I've always been uh, a fan. Um, now I'm like pro. <laughs> um, because it's not that I don't trust the education system. And it's not that I don't trust that that um, we can pull it together and make this work. It's that if we're going to be at home with our kids, and we're going to be really in the thick of it with educating our children, I feel like now's a good time for each household to really take into stock what they want that to look like for their children, right? Because we all know that education is not one fits all. It is different for every single child. Um, my son has ADHD and is on the spectrum and is medicated. Um, and how he needs to be engaged is not how my 10 year old needs to be engaged. I'm sorry. I have a very loud bird right next to me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'm like a Disney princess. Um, <laughs> is it blue? Because if it's a blue uh, bird, please have it fly over your head for, for editing purposes. <laughs> right. Just fly back. Um, so, so educating them, you know, at home looks different and it looks different than what I expect for them in the classroom. And yet it looks as though each teacher is expected to do the exact same thing, just with different content right now. And that's where the radical shift needs to be happening. But going back to what uh, was said earlier about, you know, supplies and food and internet and all of that. Um, if I can provide all of that at home, or it can be provided um, for each family at home. I think that maybe now is a time where those homeschooling communities can really come up to the surface and be given an opportunity to be equal with the existing education system. Um, that's that's what's sh what has really shifted for me is really thinking about not only is it the best choice, but is it something that I can do? Yeah. Um, or is it something I could do with a co-op? You know, like we have discussed it where we said, hey, we have several other friends who are all interested in this idea. 
maybe we should be looking at doing a co-op if we don't feel comfortable with what the system puts in place next year. Um, And so that's really something that's on my heart right now is it's thinking about maybe I'm going to be homeschooling my children going forward um, in a way that I wasn't ever emotionally prepared for. Same, same. And I've always enjoyed teaching my my little one all kinds of fun stuff. Um, But, uh, you know, teaching her how to make pie out of berries that we pick behind her school, which I'm not sure we're supposed to do, but we do. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why am I the only one out here doing this with my child? Is this not legal? Um, But, uh, you know, but changing and shifting that reality, you know, Jenny, you've said, you know, more than once that you're... going back to what it was before actually isn't what we should be doing that we should be thinking more expansively as we get close to to the end of our show here what can we be what can we expect to see from project explorer this fall how can we connect struggling families and kids be them at home or in foster homes or detentions to your content um and you know just i'd love to hear more yeah well anyone can use it right now completely free of charge projectexplorer.org everything's under 10 minutes everything is educational there's no advertising just go use it it's just it's it's lovely and fun and there's everything from wildlife to yoga and mindfulness there and world music and it's it's just great um and i don't say that just because i created it like i enjoy what i do um because i'm curious um in the fall, we are we're hoping, um, and it'll be the next iteration of Project Explorer. It'll be explr-media.com, and it'll be a massive scale up. And it won't just be classroom content; it's content and curriculum that's designed to seamlessly move between classroom, e-learning, and distance learning, um, and things that parents can take and say, "Okay, we're going to watch this five-minute video. Now we're going to have a conversation on." Um, different races and religions and how to have that conversation around maybe a dinner table or how to have that conversation with a family member. So we're not talking quizzes. We're not talking regurgitation of facts. This is designed to spark dialogue. And I think that's exactly, you know, in line with, with the values that we have at Corona Rising. Um, as we close again, I'm Andrea Powell with Corona Rising and this is episode six of surviving now, uh, we are here to flip the script and put survivors in the place of expertise. This is not about our survivor stories. This is not about an opportunity for people to hear a sob story. This is actually about using the lived and shared experiences of those who have survived sexual violence and trafficking and trauma and and using that to actually inform on content and and current issues that are impacting all of us. Um, and, And today we've talked about the impact of how the education system is changing whether we wanted it to or not. Um, I am a parent and a survivor and someone who works with a lot of disconnected and, and struggling kids. And so while I have concerns, I'm excited for the future. And you know, Project Explorer is a part of that excitement, um, as well as knowing that that we're going to be able to connect uh, those who are struggling, such as you know many survivors of trafficking, uh, to this content and to other innovative ways to be parents, uh, to, to be advocates, to be survivors and really be leaders in, in our own lives and, and thrive. So 
Jenny, thank you so much. Liz, thank you. Uh, at the end of the show, you'll be able to see where to get access to Jenny's materials, where to learn more to support survivors at Corona Rising, and, and some tips and things that, that I found in my, my uh, limited research last night on, on things that we can do as, as parents and as survivors to, to keep ourselves whole and not just survive, but thrive. So thank you all to, who are listening and to our guests, and we are going to sign off now. Thanks. Bye.